It's just so good to be in the house of God, and we we just really had an amazing uh, few days that, uh, again, as it has been said, uh, is only and should only be the beginning. You know, God loves his people. He loves his church. He loves to be uh, free in his church, and as, as Jonathan was saying, you know, what do you want to become the normal? You want to become the normal that we would come here on Sundays, <laughs> sing a few songs, hear some uh, what I would call wonderful preaching. Thank you. I was anticipating a couple amens at least. Uh, and then we go home. Or would we potentially be excited about maybe something like the book of Acts happened right here? People get healed, people get delivered, people get saved. Uh, what, what do you think? What, what, you know, he really does anticipate and, and work off of our expectations. Most of the time that God has moved in, in the Word, not every time, but most of the time it has been because he stirred up the heart of his people who finally got tired of the norm and decided to lean in and step in and, and say, God, we want your presence here like never before. We want, we want you to be among us. We want you to, uh, to, to fill us. We want you to release your power in us and through us uh, in, in the day that we live in. The book of Acts, uh, if you look at the end of it, it actually does not say amen. It's one of the few books that doesn't say amen at the end because it's not over. It was only the beginning until the end. And so uh, that is not here uh, yet. So you have, you, you, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and um, well, first, I, I saw this notice the other day, uh, and, and I wanted to read it to you. It, it was, you know, posted, to be posted at a workplace. It says, this department requires no physical fitness program, exclamation mark. You know how that's really getting big these days. They're throwing those in and wanting you to be healthy and stuff and so forth. And it says, this department requires no physical fitness programs. Everyone gets enough exercise, jumping to conclusions, flying off the handle, running down the boss, knifing friends in the back, dodging responsibility, passing the buck, and pushing their luck. Okay, come on, that's, uh, that's really true. So you don't have to worry about a program probably of exercise. You are probably already healthy. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's look at the Word this morning. We've started in this uh, journey about the book of Ephesians. Uh, uh, we, uh, we title it The Alps of the Bible, a very important uh, book, as uh, most theologians would tell you. And we have come through the first three chapters. And it's interesting that, that this is... Uh, we're transitioning today into the fourth chapter, but the first three chapters start out just kind of telling us everything that God has done for us, everything that God has given us, everything that God has provided for us, and everything that God has promised us. That's the first three chapters. If you remember uh, in Ephesians, uh, we uh, gave you at the beginning, we gave you these three terms, which are the outline of uh, the book of Ephesians to kind of uh, help help us to see it and memorize it and understand it. And the first word was sit, sit in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. And we, we talked about in the very beginning that uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 6 it says, and he raised us up 
with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, hey, when I uh, gave you eternal life, when I gave you eternal life, I also placed you in this position now to see down uh, upon the earth from a heavenly perspective. I find that that's very lacking in, 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 uh, in many believers. They only see things from this way. They never see it from the uh, heavenly view. And so it becomes very frustrating. They, 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 they usually become religious or get tired of religion and, and dodge out of the picture. But we saw in uh, the very first chapter, the, the repeated phrase uh, was, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so he's pointing us as believers to himself in the first three uh, chapters of the book. Now we're going to move into the next one, and, and the word we used was the word walk, and that will carry us from chapters 4 up to part of uh, 6, 9, and, uh, and here's the verse for that in 4, chapter 1, it's on your notes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, uh, and he, he begins now to give us instructions on how to live in light of the first section of in Christ. This is all I've done for you. I've saved you. I've given my life for you. And we're going to see that in just a moment. We're going to see some exciting things out of this chapter because it's a, it's a very powerful, motivating chapter. And then the third section of the book is going to talk about standing, standing in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the verse for that is, uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And see, if you think that you can stand without Christ, you're fooling yourself. You know, the Bible actually says that even the elect would be deceived if God didn't shorten the times. And so if I think that I'm going to somehow escape uh, escape the trickery and deception of the enemy, then I'm already deceived. I already don't get it. I already don't understand how, uh, how, how, how subtle he is and how deceptive he is. He's the, remember, one of his titles is the father of lies. And so I have to be aware of this, and we're going to be looking at this <clears throat> as we go through uh, these chapters and we, we get to the uh, the final chapter of Ephesians in just a couple weeks. And so it's, it's important for us to see that. Uh, uh, the, the term sit, walk, and stand, I first heard uh, through a, uh, a pastor named Watchman Nee years ago. It was a, it was a, it's, a, it's a wonderful book, and it just really explains this and really opens up the, the understanding for us of our walk with God. God wants to have a revival in you and then through you. He can't have a revival through you if he doesn't have it in you. And I said it's important for us to understand. I, again, it's sad that, the, that, that there is a, a, a good portion of the body of Christ that really doesn't get how God wants to work in them and then through them. And so without that knowledge or insight or understanding, without the revelation that comes from that, then I will just be satisfied going to church and never really allow the Lord to, again, begin to work in me in such a way that he can then work through me. And we can get to the end of our life like the one rich ruler said, hey, Jesus, I did all these things. And he says, yeah, but you missed it. You didn't know me. 
You didn't know me. You didn't take the time to know me so that you could know what I wanted you to do and how I wanted you to do it. And so, so we're going to see here in chapter 4, and this is what we're going to look at today. It's on your notes. We're going to see here, how does God want to work through us? We, he already has worked in us. So we understand that we're not doing this to gain his favor or to, and we're not doing what we're going to do in life to have him love us more. He can't love you anymore than he already does. He's, he's just God of love. He's just, that can't change no matter how much you, you beat against him, kick against him, complain to him. I can just tell you one thing. His love for you will never change. To me, that's amazing. That's totally phenomenal. And I'm like, wow, God, how, how, how do you do that? And so let's just, let's just run through this chapter. And I'm, again, have been believing for just revelation to come to you. And, and as you're watching online, that same revelation uh, can break right through that camera into your room, wherever you're at. And so, Father, right now, I pray as we look into your word that the eyes of our understanding and our spiritual understanding would be opened. God, that's not something that I can do, but Lord, your Holy Spirit does it, and your word helps it. And so, God, today we open up our heart and spirit. We give you all of our affection, all of our heart, all of our mind right now, so that you might speak just one word to us, God, because you're an awesome and a loving and a mighty God. Now, help us today, God, as we go into your word to get this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, says, I beseech you or I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, there's an invite here. He, he won't come and push you uh, into getting into what he's calling you into, but he'll definitely come like he does in the book of Revelation. He begins to knock on the door of your heart and knock on the door of your life in just little areas to try to get your attention first and then to begin to communicate to you and open up his perfect will to your life. And he says this, and the word to walk means, it's, it just means, and it's on your notes there, I just thought it was important for us to see this, to make one's way to progress or to make due use of opportunities, or to regulate one's life, and to conduct oneself. In other words, I want you to progress forward on this journey uh, with me. And, that's the, and again, that's the Holy Spirit. Again, it's just an invite. It's just an invite. I'm hoping this morning that many of you would experience the invite. And I, many people that I've talked to actually receive a call when they first become born again. And then others kind of finally come to a conviction. Maybe you were raised in church, and so your experience has been different, and you may even have some negativity toward all of this stuff, you know. But, but, but many people get the call. I, I'll just, for me, it was I remember coming to the altar uh, at 21 years of age, and the Lord completely saving me, turning me around, changing my life. And while I was down there, my heart being broken open so he could take out the old and put in the new. While I'm down there, I hear the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? You can hear him uh, right out of the bat here. Uh, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, you wasted the first 21 years of your life, and boy, did I. He says, I want the rest. Or I had no idea what that meant, but you know what? I just said, yes, Lord, you got it. I mean, I didn't, hadn't been to a church a day in my life before I got saved. I don't know any of the lingo, you know. I'm called to this or that, and all of a sudden you put it in this funky place, you know, to be in a pastor or something. I had none of that backdrop. 
But I just remember saying yes, and that started the journey because I was saying yes to what? Lord, you have my entire life. You have my entire life now. Do what you want to do with it. You know the word Lord in the Bible that's used so many times. What is that? That means he's the master. And when you step into Christ, hopefully it's not just to be saved, right? Not just to be saved, but he actually puts it together and he says, I, I, want, to be, I, want, you to be, I want to be your Lord and your Savior. So he wants to be both of those things to us. And we often will take the Savior part. That's good fire insurance, right? It gets you out of hell into heaven. Okay, But he says, no, I want these put together. Once you're born again, now you're called. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to open up our understanding with. I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I'm inviting you into this. I'm inviting you into this. And, and it's important, if I could say this, just after uh, living so many years, 40-some years as a believer, I've just watched believers as, as, as we've pastored for years years and years, 35 years or more, uh, I've, I've just watched people that they have a struggle uh, hearing the Lord, and, and, and I've often wondered, why would that be? If he could come after me as an unsaved person who didn't ha care about him at all and begin to speak to me before I'm saved and I'm hearing him, what is the difference? Well, it's really the response. For two years I was witness to and nothing happened, and I didn't, but I wasn't listening and all of a sudden, it broke through. It's probably, for me, it had to be a hammer and a chisel for two years, you know, to just, because I was hard-hearted, to break through and break through. And finally, when it broke through, then that was that response of, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. This is not just a religion for me. This is not just some, I'm, you know, I'm going to go find some place to go to church, and that's what I'm going to do. No, that's not what Jesus is after for our life at all. Matter of fact, that probably ends up being a very boring, disappointing, discouraging Christian walk. Thank you. Somebody give her a microphone. Come on, church, really, come on, we got to wake up to this reality, because we can get to the place where we say no so many times, that that's called we harden our hearts, and then we wonder, why am I not hearing God? I've hardened my heart. Let him chisel you this morning, I guarantee you. The journey is much better than the one you're on if you're not really following Christ. It's much more exciting. It's much more life-giving. And you'll be involved in his signs, wonders, and miracles that follow those that believe. This is good stuff. The Amplified said it this way, to live a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. In other words, it isn't a matter of I'm trying to please him. I don't have to do that. He already settled that the first three chapters of Ephesians. You should have gotten that. You should have sat back and said, wow, I didn't know how much he loved me. I didn't know how much he cared. I didn't know how much he was there and did all for me, did for me. And so uh, he, the, the, the Passion Translation says this here, to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given to you at your divine calling. So I think everybody has a calling. God gifted you. It says he created you in your mother's womb and designed you for what he wanted you to do in this life, to glorify him, to magnify him, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been so settled for just to coming, coming to church. And God's saying, no, 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 no. It is time. The call is out. The call is out. The call is out. 
And God's calling us to respond to that. And, and again, I think it's just important for us to know that uh, I, I need to, to walk worthy of the calling with which I have been given or the invite. And I just pray today if maybe somehow you have experienced the call of God in your life, and I've seen this over the years too, you started out the race well, but as Brian said, whenever you say yes to him, I'm guaranteeing there's, a, there's something that's going to come after you, okay? Why? Because the devil doesn't want that to happen for you. And, and, and we got to see it as a spiritual battle, not just a natural thing. And he opposes you, and he opposes you, and he opposes you. But that's why in first three chapters of Ephesians, you're in Christ and there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do to you as a believer, there's nothing he can do to you as a believer. There's nothing he can do to you as a believer. Amen. And I've known so many people that end up getting a little bit of pressure, and, and, and guess where it happens the best? Right here in church. How many people have I seen? Oh, I want to get involved. I want to do something. And they go get involved, and three months later, they're, they're back in the back row of the pew. What's going on? Oh, I was offended by so-and-so. I wanted to serve, and it didn't work out quite like I, I wanted it to happen. And so, therefore, I'm offended, so now I'm just going to sit back in the chair. Let me just tell you, you begin to turn off the voice of God when you do that. And, and it's not God's fault you can't hear Him anymore. You turn it off because you have your hand on the faucet. You have the ability. He's given you the ability to do so much more than what you think. And when you begin to understand that the opposition is not the flesh and blood that may be helped him with it, but it's literally the principalities and the powers in high places that want to destroy your life. If he can't keep you from being saved, then his next best thing is to keep you sitting in the pew and not wanting to be interested in signs and wonders and miracles and all the things that Jesus lived Jesus, your Savior, lived out signs and wonders and miracles everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. And he was not only your Savior, but he was also your model. And we heard that this last few days that, you know, Jesus came and, and became completely man so that he could model his life of what you could do just like he did it. And remember everything he said is, I do it what the Father says. I'm doing what the Spirit empowers me to do. Everything he did. And so he wanted us to know that. I just thought it was a great truth that he brought out uh, that we shouldn't forget. Jesus was not only 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he gave up that right for you and I. And he, it says he learned obedience through the things he even suffered for you and I. So we could see that it's possible it's possible. The, the supernatural, the divine, the miraculous is possible in us and through us. And I appreciated the testimony about the in, inward transformation that takes place. And I think that's what God wants. He wants to affect our marriages. How many can say amen? He wants to affect our parenting. How many can say amen? He wants to affect our kids. He wants to affect our kids. And can I just tell you right now, if you have young kids right now, they will not make it in 10 years. Think about 10 years. Think about the downward spiral that the culture is taking. How is your kid going to survive that without the supernatural? I'm just telling you right up front, I just want to be honest with you as your pastor. 
especially up here. Just teasing, okay? I do want to be honest, though. Your kids won't make it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Remember, even the elect will be deceived if God doesn't shorten these days. And and if I can catch that, I have nothing to fear. I'm going to raise devil-kicking, devil-stomping kids that love God and love the kingdom of God and are going to serve them all the days of their life. And he goes on to say this here in verse 3, endeavoring. He says, to make every effort, excuse me, verse 2, and this is, this is how we do this, with all lowliness and gentleness and with long-suffering, bearing one another, in other words, to hold up each other in love. This is what he says. And I think that's one of the areas, you know, I'm thinking, wow, I thought you said this Christianity thing was going to be easy. Well, it's kind of tough sometimes to be low and gentle and long-suffering and bear one another in love. I mean, that gets tough sometimes. How many would say amen to that? But that's what he says, I want you to do it. This is how I want you to do it. And it's actually part of the process that he does to purify us, to transform us, and to change us into what? His image, which he's going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, And then he goes on in verse 3. He says, endeavoring or make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I find this interesting because later on in this chapter, he'll be saying the unity of the faith. But do you know he doesn't start with that? I would have thought the apostle doctrine, Mr. Doctrine, wrote the book of Romans, would have said, you know, I want you to have the unity of the doctrine first. But he doesn't say that. He says, I want you to have unity of spirit. Because everything that we learn and know and understand about God is found in our unity with him and with each other. And that's why he said, what's the greatest commandment? I want you to love God and do what? Isn't that that going to be good enough just to love God? He doesn't stop there, does he? He says, I want you to love God, and I want you to love each other as yourself. And so so this thing's important, what he's about to tell us here, and what he is telling us, keep the unity of the Spirit. F.F. Bruce says this about that particular verse. Uh, It says, uh, for the church fellowship in which the Gentile and Jewish believers were united. Remember, this is the book is written to the Gentiles, warning them not to try to copy the Jewish people. The Jewish people were trying to put all of their legalism onto the Christians, the new Christians, and he's coming to warn them about that. And here's what he says, for the church fellowship in which the Gentiles and the Jewish believers were united uh, was no mere enrollment, enrollment on a registration or a membership It involved the union with Christ by faith and therefore their union with each other as fellow members of the body of Christ. And if you remember, if you're a Gentile, which means anything that's not a Jew, you're not a second-tier Christian when you become born again. Everybody becomes joint heirs with Christ. We're all on equal plane. There's nothing special about anybody Unless they're in Christ, then we're all the same special. And it's an exciting thing. And so he's coming here to say, I want you to have unity of spirit. And verse 4 on your notes, there's one body and one spirit. One body and one spirit. And uh, you know, I hope that you'll take maybe these notes or something through the week and just read through them slowly. And there's a little bit of space between there on your notes. And just, you know, God, what do you mean there's one body and one spirit? If you, if you thought that was important enough to put in the Bible, I must have some revelation on it. Why, why is that important to you? 
And really let him begin to download into you about that. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One hope of your calling. Important. Just what does he mean there? What is he talking about? He's talking about something that we need to get revelation on. Down to verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, what does that mean? What does that even mean? It means this. It means that you're always going to have enough divine ability to do everything that God's calling you to do. You're always going to have enough divine ability. In other words, you're not going to be living on your, you're not going to be working this on your own. Grace is his divine ability coming to you. And, and giving you and equipping, equipping you and strengthening you. Grace has so many meanings. It would, I wouldn't even have time to define them all today. But he's trying to say, hey, within the calling of God, I'm going to give you this grace. Why? Because you're going to need it to endure to see your calling through and to see your life fulfill my calling. And the thing is, is it's kind of one of these things, it's kind of funny, there's, you know, you face adversaries, you face warfare, the enemy attacks you, people attack you. You know that people, your friends attack you when you want to do the will of God sometimes? You know, why are you going to go do that? Why are you wasting time doing that? Why, why would you, come with us, come on, just forget that. Why, there's, there's, there's opposition that comes everywhere because the enemy wants to stop you from doing the will of God. And, and, and so he's saying, but you know something? You're going to have that, but, but I'm going to give you a grace that's sufficient. You're going to have a divineness about you just simply because you believe me. You believe me. I like this quote from Jerry Bridges. It says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. <laughs> he just kind of pulls it all in. Grace just covers it all. Oh, that we could understand grace like God meant us to understand it. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave these gifts to men. What gifts? What gifts? Uh, he took everything that he took. I love this phrase. It took me a long time to kind of figure He led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. What does that mean? What was he trying to say there? See, you read that sometimes, and for me, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I, I, I'm slow, I will admit, but as I never understood. He led captivity captive. It just doesn't seem to make sense. But let me see if I can help us with this a little bit this, uh, this morning. He took everything that could hold you captive, and he put it into captivity. <laughs> In other words, everything that would overpower you, he took care of. Everything that was going to come against you, he's already put it in captivity. Mary made a shame of the enemy openly at the cross, stealing all of his power, taking all of his power away. He has no power over us except for what we give him. And so he's releasing this thing. He's releasing us from, from the feeling because as I've journeyed with God for a while, boy, there's times when you just you will feel like, Man, God, I can't do it. But once you figure out, wait a minute, you took captivity, anything that was going to take me captive, I can do all things, Paul, through Christ who strengthens me. He empowers me. And believe me, the enemy would love, love, love to put you back into captivity. 
But he can only do it when you don't know the truth as much as he knows the lies. When we begin to understand this, then all of a sudden, God, I need your grace right now. God, I need your grace. And with it, I cast off all emotions. I cast off all fears. You know, fear is a big one. The enemy loves to use that. You know, it's fear to fear. Yeah, Lord, I cast that off because you've already taken captivity. Everything that's trying to come after me. I don't have to worry about that. It's all coming to me right now as a big, fat lie. You remember saying, liar, liar, pants on fire? Or was that just a West Coast thing? You know what I mean? It's just, it's just that he's a liar. And he's the father of lies, but boy, he does a good job at it. And verse 9, and now this he ascended. Uh, what does this mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. What? That he might fill all things uh, on this earth. And that was you. That was you. That was you. That was you. He's coming to do something. He's, th- he's speaking of the cross here. And we have a picture of the, uh, I think we have a picture of the tabernacle. But let's look at this verse before we see that. And um uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 23. Hebrews 9 and verse 23. Therefore, now listen to this real close. I, I'm going to wrap it up here in just a few minutes, but I want you to hear this part. This is so important. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, and now uh, to appear in the presence of God for us. So he's trying to bring some understanding and some interpretation. See, this is why you have to have spiritual insight. What was he saying here? He went to heaven, and and, and back here at the cross, what did he do? He was crucified for us. It was the blood that the life is in. Amen? Amen? The life is in the blood, the Bible says. But something had to happen. He took his blood to, the, to heaven and sprinkled it on the tabernacle, on the Ark of the Covenant, to complete the work that he began. If you know your scriptures and your Bible, if you don't, I don't have time to tell you. He built a tabernacle on earth, which was a copy of what was in heaven. And this is what he was about to do. Because remember, all the animal sacrifices were just temporary until this could happen. And then once this happened, it reopened the ability for us to be saved, brought back into the image image of God, given back the dominion and the authority that we started with in the garden. It had to happen. So he goes up there, he sprinkles it with blood, and remember what happens next? He goes down. It said, now he descended. Where did he go? He went into hell. And what did he do when he went down there? He took the keys. Come on. Come on. He took the keys of what? Death and hell. See, and when we begin to realize what he did, and then he comes back up, and remember he showed himself on earth for 40 days, and and, and then he went went up to heaven. And now he's seated on the right hand of the Father for you and I, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. What? That we might understand who has the keys. Who has the authority? He took those from the devil and he gave them to Jesus and Jesus gives them to us. 
He says, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and do what needs to be done. Go and make disciples of all nations. And, and, and part of that is setting people, come on, walking in <laughs> and let, letting them have the keys. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Did you know you could be free? I was given the keys, and I'm giving them to pass on to you now. And, and, and so he's, he goes through this, and he says, he went up there. What does he do? First descends into the lower parts of the earth, and then he descends also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he goes on in verse 11, and he himself gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for what? For the work of the ministry and for the edifying or the building up, edifice, edifying, edifice, the building up of what? The body of Christ. Do you get that? He did this for this. And it says he gave the, the ministry, and, and, and we would see it. He, he names them off. He says he gave the apostles, okay? The apostle is the, is the, the, the ministry in our day, the ministry of, of really oversight and leadership. It's kind of a father ministry. And, and then he gave the, he says the prophet. The prophet points the way, right? They point the way. And, and then he gives the evangelist. The evangelist, it's the longest of your fingers. Why? Because they have the furthest outreach. I want you to remember these. He gave these gifts for us for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he has the, the pastors. What's the pastor? It's the ring finger. My ring is broke or I would have it on. We're not having issues. Okay? Most of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's the pastoral. And then he says, I gave the teachers. I need to clean out your ears. You never use your thumb to clear your ear, right? And the apostle ministry touches all the rest of them. So we have this leadership, these gifts that he's given to us, which is really just as a reminder. He says in the New Testament, he goes on later to say, uh, the last day church will really be established by the apostle and the prophets. And I'll just remind you, the two ministries that most people have the most trouble with, they don't mind the pastor most of the time. They don't mind the teacher hardly ever. You know, they don't mind the evangelist. Oh, that's great. But man, when it comes to the other two, but in my Bible, they're all in the same list of gifts that he gave to the body. But that's not the end of the gifts. Then you go to... Uh, Romans 12 and, and 1 Corinthians uh, 14 or 1 Corinthians 12 and you see the gifts there that are for the whole body, for all of us. And he says to them, and I, I'm just going to end with this this morning. He says this in verse 13. He gave these gifts. He gave these gifts. And we see a lot about the gifts in scriptures. There's a whole segment in culture, in church culture, that says that the gifts are no longer for today. Has anybody ever heard that? I mean, that's just, a, it's, a deep, it's a deep teaching that has cut off the power of the Holy Spirit. You can talk about the Holy Spirit all you want, but if you throw out His power, you've really thrown Him out. And I'm saying this because I want us to believe for signs, wonders, and miracles to take place in and through our life, not just in this building, but out in the, in the marketplace and in the workplace where we take Christ's authority to see people set free. So watch what he says here. 
And I'll let you just determine at this point. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building of the body. Verse 13, till we all, can you underline that maybe on your notes? Maybe even in your Bible. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Anybody here perfect yet? You aren't, are you? I'm not, and you aren't either. I can testify. All these were given for us all the way until the perfect man, and then he takes it even further, to the measure of the stature of, full, of the fullness of Christ. Can I just say this about your life? God has you on a journey. He's taking you somewhere. He's wanting to bring you to a level of maturity uh, and a level he calls perfect. Uh, twice he says this, Matthew 5, 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he says all these gifts were given to get us to that place. The gifts are still in need of operation. The authority needs to be there. John 17, uh, 23, I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Would you just bow your heads for a moment, please? just close your eyes or something. It's all about being in Christ. Chapter 2 of Ephesians talked about us being together as the body of Christ. And now we're stepping into chapter 4 and he's talking about this unity and this connection that he wants us to have with each other so that the operation, I believe, of the gifts would increase and grow strong and provide nurture and training and strength, maturity, perfection to one another. But the burden of my heart was is people are just maybe not quite getting it. Maybe because there's been too much hurt in the church. Maybe you've been hurt a lot in the church, and I understand that. It's no fun. I've been hurt in the church. And so maybe that's the hesitation. Maybe that's the resistance to say, you know, I'm going to be all in, God, in what you're doing. And if you said you were going to build your church and that was going to be the last instrument on earth that the gates wouldn't prevail against, which the Bible says it is, church is the last thing he's going to build. And it says we're the church. We, we read that in Corinthians and other places. Then God wants us to be all in. And I'm saying this because I, I believe we're in that kind of a day where we have to be there. There's not going to be an optional thing. I'm just going to be a lone ranger and allow myself just to run free and it's just like the wolf and the sheep example you the wolf tries to wait till the sheep leaves out by itself gets out there and and and, and then he attacks we got to understand these are analogies he, he calls us sheep right we are the sheep of his pasture he's trying to help us with a natural analogy 
And today he wants to stir something up inside of us. I think it's a, yes, God, I'm all in to you. Yes, God, I'm all in to you. If I start there, then I can begin to understand what that means. But I need to first be there. So I want to just ask you right now, how are you with Christ? How are you with the Holy Spirit? Are you, uh, are you just kind of uh, resisting? Are you maybe arm's length from him? Are you, has he been knocking on the door of your heart, but you're just really not ready or willing to say, God, here am I, use me. Here am I, God. You did so much for me out of a gratitude of heart. This is so important this morning. I just, I, again, I've been feeling all week, this might be the highlight of, of what he wants to communicate to us. If you're not all in, then you're all out. Because Jesus says, you know, hot or cold, and he doesn't, you know, there's not this in-between place that I can imagine up in my own mind and say that that's okay, that's good. God understands me. He understands my hurt. He understands my pain. It's not so. He does understand you. But he's never going to let you go to deception. So come, Holy Spirit, this this morning. Come upon our hearts, God. Open up the eyes of our understanding. And help us, Father, with any offense or maybe misunderstanding or hurt that we've acquired or incurred upon us through the church or through people. Help that to be removed today. Father, I just uh, release that out of my life completely. Would you just say that? Just, Lord, I release everything out of my life that's going to hinder me from connecting fully with you and your church, your body, your people. And God, open up the eyes of our understanding. We're here. We're here, we're here. We freely say, here am I, Lord, use me. And God, I pray with that very confession of heart and mind this morning that, uh, Lord, this week would be a phenomenal, life-changing week for each and every one of us. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your word, God, that you didn't withhold these type of truths from us, but you revealed them to us in a mighty way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Uh, we, we, we didn't make it through the book. We were going to try through the chapter. We were going to try. We really were going to try. But I feel like God's saying something to us through this book. And I, I want to just encourage you, keep reading through it through the week so the Holy Spirit can speak more to you about what's, uh, than what's already been said. I believe it's going to be a most exciting thing. He's building his church. He's, he's doing something on the earth that uh, we don't want to miss. Amen?